From high atop Rocky Road in Moab, Utah, it's KZMU News. I'm Molly Marcello. This is your news for Monday, February 14th. A bill that aims to incentivize film production in rural communities has made it out of committee. Senate Bill 49 would allow films shot in rural Utah to receive essentially a rebate, up to 20 to 25 percent of their spend. The films would have to shoot at least half of their production in a rural county to receive this incentive. Cash will be infused very quickly, and, and rural county vendors, suppliers, hotels, and restaurants will see benefits immediately. With this bill, it can be a major player in the film industry again. State Senator Ron Winterton, sponsor of SB 49, speaking before the Senate's Economic Development and Workforce Services Committee last week. Rural Utah has a long history of film production. The town of Kanab in Kane County was dubbed Little Hollywood in the heyday of Westerns. And the Moab to Monument Valley Film Commission is the longest-running film commission in the world. Movies started being shot here in 1949, and they were shoot being shot in mm-hmm. Monument Valley in the 20s and Kanab in the early 20s. Biga Metzner, film commissioner for Moab to Monument Valley. Although there's a rich film history in rural Utah, large-scale feature productions, ones that employ around 200 people, have largely dropped off from filming here. The last feature film in rural Utah that Metzner can remember was shot about eight years ago. We are not a competitive state. We Mm -hmm. haven't been for a really long time, and that is the reason we have not had something since 2014. And film productions will go elsewhere, literally. The first question that I get asked if a phone call comes in that has a feature aspect to a feature film aspect to it is, what is your incentive? Utah does currently have film production incentives, but there's a state cap on those incentives at $8.4 million. Metzner says this can quickly get used up by projects on the Wasatch Front. With this new bill, rural productions will not have an annual limit on incentives. Yes, it is a bill that is specifically set up to help rural Utah. Some are dubbing this legislation the Kevin Costner Bill. The actor is working on a Civil War-era epic titled Horizon and has been scouting locations in rural Utah. San Juan County Commissioner Bruce Adams went location scouting with Costner. He told the Senate committee the spend is going to be... Somewhere in the neighborhood of $150 million. And he told me, he says, every bit of that money will be spent in your county and other rural counties in the state of Utah. We'll hire people, we'll buy supplies, we'll rent motels, we'll buy gas. We'll spend the money in your counties, which will be a a huge help uh, for rural counties. We don't often get an influx of of this kind of money. If this bill does not pass, he will not shoot it here. He can't. Metzner again, speaking about the Costner project. She says a project like his will take the rebate and put it back into the film, one that she dubs a passion project of the actors. He, he said it to me. I don't want to go to New Mexico. Sorry, New Mexico. I love you guys. You're all my friends, too. But you know what I mean? He doesn't, he doesn't want to shoot there. This is where he feels his story needs to live. You can tell there's a palpable sense of anxiety about losing a feature film like this to another state. Last year, Senator Winterton tried to increase film incentives after another Costner vehicle, the television series Yellowstone, moved out of state. Simply put, when other states offer better incentives, the production moves elsewhere. 
But this type of competition can give some elected officials pause. Last year, State Senator Daniel McKay spoke against expanding film incentives during the 2021 session. I think the one big problem I have with this is the race to the bottom that we're involved in and these incentives. Not everyone is convinced that film incentives spur meaningful economic development. There have been several studies analyzing their performance on job growth and wages in recent years. A 2018 study concluded they have no measurable effect on either sector. A 2019 study on corporate tax incentives in the entertainment industry urged states to use caution when applying them. The prevalence of this analysis has caused several states to severely reduce or even eliminate their film incentive programs in recent years. In fact, the incentive credit has really just become that. It's just a cash rebate to filmmakers, which are super nice and stuff. And and I can think of a painter that lives on my street or a general contractor that lives on my street or, you know, a couple of other groups that would love to have 20 percent of their operating expenses given to them. Senate Bill 49 has not made it to the debate floor just yet, but the Senate's Economic Development and Workforce Services Committee did give it unanimous support. In committee, State Senator Jerry Stevenson says he's changed his mind about film incentives. I think there's some of us that at times have felt that, um, you know, Utah is a, a beautiful enough place and offers enough with access and all of the things that we do that we probably shouldn't have to do anything. People will just come here. While we watch Yellowstone leave, I'm convinced that we have to put an incentive in place. For more on Senate Bill 49, find the show notes of today's news on our website or podcast. The people of Crested Butte, Colorado, want their local government to be a leader in climate change resilience. But some residents were not happy with the purchase of a new electric vehicle for the local police. Christopher Biddle, with our partners at KBUT, has this story on what might have caused the backlash. Chief Marshal Mike Riley of the Crested Butte Marshal's Office understands the limitations of social media. Uh, Social media, I try not to argue with my dog or the internet. But for this small town police chief, there is no public relations team. So posting updates to Facebook is a regular part of the job. Like on August 12th last year, when he posted a photo of the department's newest vehicle. As far as we know, Riley proudly wrote, this is the first Tesla Model X in service. Not everyone on Facebook that day was impressed. Time out, wrote one person. You idiots spent money on a Tesla? How much did that set me back in my property taxes? Asked another. Others made fun of the futuristic falcon doors that open vertically instead of outward. Still more questioned the practicality of a police cruiser with a limited battery life. There were some that supported the purchase, but the overall attitude was that a Tesla Model X was unreasonable. Because that's just something that wealthy people in San Francisco do, and that's completely out of touch with reality. That's Cardi Worthman. She co-authored a study that looked at the impact public relations firms had on climate change politics. The study found that industries like electric utilities, oil, coal, steel, and rail pay millions for public relations, while environmental advocates and renewable energy pay comparatively very little. She's heard those criticisms of Tesla before in messaging paid for by oil and gas. So especially the American Petroleum Institute has hired PR firms out the wazoo. So they 
hire them to work on the federal level, to work in DC, but they also hire them to work on a more local level. And we've seen that with pretty much every climate and anything that would reduce our emissions in the United States, uh, like any sort of policy, they're usually fighting against that. For example, as part of their settlement over the diesel emissions scandal, Volkswagen paid out $2 billion to fund electric vehicle infrastructure across the country, including two public charging stations in Crested Butte. And at every turn, API have come in and lobbied against them. And they've made oftentimes the same arguments that you'd see on this local level of, oh, it's just rich people trying to buy these nice, fancy Teslas. Thinking back to the public reaction in Crested Butte, there is no actual evidence that an oil and gas PR firm had a hand in stirring the debate. These people had their own agendas, like the local housing crisis, officially declared by the town council only a few weeks before the arrival of the new car. It was also the summer after the murder of George Floyd and the worldwide conversations on police reform. Phrases like defund the police had fully entered the American lexicon. These were the issues that people were talking about that day. But both of those narratives depend on the narrative of Tesla as a decidedly impractical and elitist vehicle, something the company's real public image and that of its celebrity billionaire founder Elon Musk maybe doesn't help. But the narrative has been around far longer than Musk's celebrity or his automobile company. That's the sound of the Tesla Model X backing out of the garage of Marshall Joseph Dukeman. It's not hard to get him talking about his new cruiser. It's a good transition where maybe I was skeptical at first. Since driving them and, and how efficient this thing gets 375 miles. You know, I think that that's what people were. were it's actually the third electric the vehicle in the Marshall's yeah. fleet. They also have two electric motorcycles and there's a new Tesla on order. That's how much they like it. As the department adds new Teslas to their fleet, Chief Riley will likely remain the department's de facto PR team. And if the social media backlash returns, he'll probably do what he did last time. Respond with the facts. Which is, in my estimation, the, the best response to, to anything off of social media or the Internet. So. Time will tell if that's enough to help change a very old, very powerful, very expensive narrative. For Rocky Mountain Community Radio, I'm Christopher Bibble. This story is part of a collaborative reporting project with Rocky Mountain Community Radio looking at fossil fuel transitions in the West. And that's the KZMU News for Monday, February 14th. Get your community-powered journalism Monday through Friday at noon and 7. You can also find KZMU News anytime online at kzmu.org or wherever you listen to podcasts.